Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. Uh, I want to talk today about Jesus came to undo indifference. And uh, he came to undo indifference with love. And, uh, you know, Advent is about pre preparing ourselves for the arrival of Jesus, the preparing ourselves for the arrival of God. And, you know, oftentimes we see lots of, you know, cute little baby Jesus in a manger, kind of helpless, kind of cute, kind of not very demanding. Uh, does it, you know, it, and I think sometimes we keep Jesus a little baby because a little baby doesn't challenge our beliefs. Isn't that right? A little baby is just cute. You know, you, baby in a manger, some sheep, get it made out of chocolate, you can eat it all. But it's actually preparing the way for a king. It's preparing a way not just for a king, but a kingdom. And it's a kingdom that... that that dwells in our hearts, and it's a kingdom, uh, it's, it's a new way of living and, and experiencing the world around us. And, you know, oftentimes people will ask the question, well, who is God and what is his will? What does God, what is God's will for my life? And, and, and believe it or not, there's actually, actually some really clear directives that Jesus gave about what his will for our life is and, and was. And he came... Basically, Jesus came to be the, the, the clear communication of heaven to earth. You know, there's a lot of questions. You go to the Old, the Old Testament, it can get confusing. Jesus just came to make it simple. He just came, and he, and he basically reduced all of the Old Testament down to three commands. Three commands. He reduced it. At first, it was down to two commands. And this, it was summed up in these two commands. He said, you can sum up all of the law of the prophets in these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. And he said, love each other as you love yourself. And he said, on these two commands, hang all the law of the prophets. It's basically, the whole Old Testament is summed up in those two statements. And then later in John 13, he said, I give you a new command that you, as you have seen me love, you are to love the same way. So he just, he just made it clear again, I'm the example that you're to follow. I'm the, I'm the one I want you to follow and do what I did. And uh, everything that God does is by love, and it's to lead us to love. These three laws, they're pretty clear. They're all about love. They're all about how we behave. They're all about how we relate to God, but they're also all about how we relate to one another, not just in intention, but also in deed. Jesus took that third command and he said, what, you, what you've seen me do, I want you to do the same thing. These are the, these are the acts of service. This is the, the compassion in action. He's taken it and made it very clear. All three of these are designed to lead us to love. But then in Matthew 24, he also gave us a warning. And it was actually a very clear warning. He said, there will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that the hearts of those who once burned with passion for God and others 
will grow cold. But keep your hope till the end and you will experience life and deliverance. In the Young's literal translation of this, it says, because of the abounding of lawlessness, the love of many shall grow cold. So he's warning, he's warning his disciples that something is going, that, that, that there's events that are going to happen that are going to try and attack your love. They're going to try and attack the way that you relate to God and that the, the way that you relate to others. And this this word lawlessness, it, it literally means the condition of being without restraint or moral law, either through ignorance or willful rebellion. The condition of being without moral law. What a, like, talk about a description of our society today. It's just like you can't tell anybody what's right or wrong, can you? You're not allowed to say what's right or wrong anymore because that's, that's being prejudicial. That's being opinionated. That's being intolerant. But the simple fact is, when we lose all law, we actually end up, lose, we end up, end up losing love. We end up losing caring. We end up losing compassion. And he said, because of this increase of sin and lawlessness, those who, whose hearts burned with love will grow cold. And so this is a, this is a warning. And uh, someone once said, hate is not the opposite of love. Indifference is the opposite of love. Because indifference says you don't matter. Indifference says hate still means you're still saying you matter. I'm opposing you, but you matter. But indifference says you just don't matter, so I can't be bothered. Jesus came to undo indifference in us so that he could release love through us. Love's not a feeling. Love's a virtue. And love is something, love is like, uh, virtues are like the muscles of our soul. And they get stronger through use. Compassion is a virtue. And it gets stronger as you exercise it. Mercy is a virtue. And it gets stronger as you exercise it. And just love is the same way. It's a virtue that gets stronger as we use it, as we continue to use it. Kindness is a virtue that grows through constant use. Grace and mercy. We get better at it the more we use it and the more that we give it. 1 John 4.16 says, We've experienced and we have entrusted our lives to the love of God in us. God is love, and anyone who lives faithfully in love also lives faithfully in God, and God lives in him. If you, you're taking notes, this is a great thing to put here. Choosing to love allows God to live in us and allows us to live in God. The choice to, to love is actually the choice, it's synonymous with choosing to live with God. And so, this is all great, but how do we do this? How do, it, it's, sometimes the challenge of love is, it's like, I believe in the theory of love, but sometimes the outworking of it is a challenge. How do we show love? How do we, how do we express love to our community? How do we express love to people we're not even allowed to interact with anymore? How, what is the way that we do this? And, um, you know, the compassion is a huge element to learning how to live in love. It's, it's the ability 
the empathy and compassion, the ability to enter into uh, someone else's shoes, the ability to see life from the way that they see it. And in this last year, I'm, I, I, I wanted to do something a little different today because this, in this last year, I had this nice little sermonette that it was already, and then I totally rewrote this message yesterday afternoon. And because uh, I decided the nice little sermonette's not good enough. Um, in this last year, there was a tool put in my hand that uh, has helped me to understand people better than I've ever been able to understand uh, and, and be able to empathize with other people's uh, points of view, their perspective on the world. Many of you have heard of it. It's called the Enneagram. And it is, how many here just, you know what the Enneagram is? I just would like to get a good idea. How many of you don't know what the Enneagram is? Don't be bashful. This, I didn't know what it was a year ago. Just, I'm just curious because I want to, uh, the Enneagram is, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a tool that has just becomes, it helped me become so insightful into the way that others think, act, respond, um, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever, if you've been married <laughs> or wanting to be married or you have a friend, um, you've noticed that everybody doesn't see the world the same way. Every, everybody doesn't, everybody doesn't have the same reaction. We have, you know, and this, this whole COVID situation just shows it. Like our reactions are so different, so different. And there's a reason for that, because we don't all see the world the same way. And it has just become an essential tool for me, to, to, because it helps me to have compassion for how others see the world. And uh, for those that don't understand, I'm actually going to do a very basic, quick... Now, the Enneagram is literally a university course, maybe many university courses, but I want to give... Uh, those of you that know it, you love hearing about it anyways, so... And those of you that don't know it, hopefully I can spark some hunger because this is such a great, great tool for being, uh, for helping us connect with one another. Uh, the Enneagram is nine basic lenses of viewing the world or nine scripts in which we will uh, kind of default to as to how we interpret the events of life. And uh, it's none of, the, none of those scripts are right or none of those lenses are right and none of them are wrong. They're just, we all have a unique way of processing the information and the experiences that we have. It's the story we tell ourselves about ourselves and the world around us. And uh, in every situation, this is, a, this is a great thing to remember. In every situation, there are nine correct interpretations of the event. And that's where the problem is, is when we start defending our interpretation and start bashing other interpretations. And for those that are not familiar, I hear your objections already. That is way too simple. People are way more complicated than just nine simple types. Yes, you are right. Each type has three subtypes, which makes 27. Each type of those has two possible wings, which makes 24. Combine the wings with the subtypes. Subtypes, you end up with 1,458. If you go to a, uh, you go to another type, whether you're in stress or security, which takes up, up does up to 4,374. Each type will respond differently depending whether they're healthy or unhealthy. 8,748 different scripts and phobic or counterphobic, which takes us up to 17,496 different scripts. 
for interpreting events. So no, the Enneagram is not simple. But for the sake of expediency, we're gonna stick with nine. Because 17,496 is just a bit too much to cover on a Sunday morning. Think of it this way. The nine types are simply book titles. And there's all sorts of different chapters in each of these books. Healthy, self-aware people are actually able to draw on the strengths of all nine types. People who are aware of their reactions and their lenses are actually able to choose different ones. Unhealthy Self-absorbed people will tend to carry out the most toxic and damaging characteristics of their lens. So it's important that we know, that we're, that we're aware. So the nine types, I'm going to give a quick overview. I'm going to go fast, you guys. There's a lot here. And uh, don't just, you, you won't be 100% of anything, but just listen to what sounds just most like you. Last summer, or last winter on our holidays, I picked up this book. And uh, when I read my type, it was like a light went off in my head. It's like, this is me. This is just totally me. It's like you are reading the thoughts inside my head as I'm reading through this. And then when I read my wife's number, I started laughing out loud. <laughs> and it's like, I finally understand why we're so different. So let's go, guys. Type one is the improver. Type one is the improver. Some call him the perfectionist, but the improver is probably a better word. The improve, they always want to make things better. They're ethical, they're dedicated, they're reliable, they're motivated by a desire to live the right way, do things the right way for the right reason. They want to improve the world, and they want to avoid fault and blame. What is it like if you're a one? Well, this is what a one would say. People have told me I can be overly critical and judgmental. I beat myself up when I make mistakes. I don't like it when people ignore or break the rules, like when the person in the fast lane at the grocery store has one more item than they're allowed. I find that I'm comparing myself to others often. If I say I'll do it, I will. It seems to me that things are either right or they're wrong. I spend a lot of time thinking about how I could be a better person. I like routine. I don't, like, I don't readily embrace change. I'll do my best when working on a project, and I wish others would do the same so that I don't have to go redo their work. I often feel like I try harder than others to do things correctly. Ones have a compulsive need to perfect the world. They have a compulsive need to perfect the world, keenly aware that neither they nor anyone else can live up to their impossibly high standards. They experience anger in the form of smoldering resentment. Healthy, they make the world a better place to be. Unhealthy, they fixate on small imperfections. Nobody cares about the details more than a one. They're idealists. They're not afraid to take a stand for what's right, even if it costs them personally. Their style of, of speaking is preaching, teaching, and moralizing. They have high expectations of themselves and others, and they can be mercilessly hard on themselves. They have, their inner voice is a critic. They have a brutal inner critic. If you're hearing them criticize something, you're just getting the tip of the iceberg. Inside, there is a whole lot longer list. Their greatest fear is that of not being a good person. And the healing message in your communication and interaction, the healing message to them is you are good as you are. You are good as you are. Number two, type two is the helper. 
The helper is warm and caring and giving. They're motivated by a need to be loved and to be needed. And, and to, they avoid acknowledging their own needs. What is it like to be a two? Well, this is what they would say. When it comes to taking care of others, I don't know how or when to say no. I'm a great listener, and I'll remember the stories that make up your lives. I'm anxious to overcome misunderstandings in relationships. Even people I don't know well share deep stuff about their lives with me. I think that people who love me should already know what I need. I'm, I'm more comfortable giving than receiving. I care a great deal about what people think about me. I want other people to think that I love everyone, but really I don't. Lots of people ask me for help, and that makes me feel valuable. When people ask me what I need, I really don't know how to answer. I worry a lot about being forgiven when I make mistakes. Healthy twos create safe spaces for others and are considered a friend of many. Unhealthy twos don't give so much give to others as invest. What you're getting, there's payment expected in return. Healthy twos serve selflessly, whether they're asked to or not. They're caring, they're kind, supportive. They will give you the shirt off their back, literally. They will give you the shirt off their back. If you are walking and you wreck your shirt, they'll say, I don't really need this one, and they'll give it to you. That's just the way they're wired. Their talk style is help, counseling, and advice. They're in their weakness or their weakness is twos will direct all their attention and energy to meeting the needs of others while disavowing having any of their own. Their secret belief that they alone know what is best for others and that they're indispensable re reveals a prideful spirit in nature. Their greatest fear is not being loved or wanted. The healing message that you can communicate to the twos in your life is I love you and you are needed. Type three is the performer. Success-oriented, image-conscious, and wired for productivity. They're motivated by a need or, or, appear to be, or the, a need to appear to be successful and to avoid failure. What is it like to be a, free, a, a three? A three will say, it's important for me to come across as a winner. I love walking in a room and knowing I'm making a great first impression on others. The keys to my happiness are efficiency, productivity, and being acknowledged as the best. I know how to airbrush brush failure so it looks like success. I am competitive to a fault. It's hard for me not to take work, work along on vacation. It's hard for me to name or access my feelings. I'm not one to talk much about my personal life, my personal life, and sometimes I feel like a phony. I like to others know about my I like other people to know about my accomplishments. I like to be seen in the company of successful people. People say I don't know how or when to stop working. Threes are high energy and, pro and, and productive. They strive to do more than, and they strive to do more and be better than anyone else. Their talk style is promotion. They can sell a Mac to Bill Gates. <laughs> they are sellers. When they're unhealthy, they're shapeshifters. They can lose their identity into, in trying to please others. In fact, one of their weaknesses is deceit, that threes value appearance over substance. They'll, they can end up abandoning their true selves to, to project a false, crowd-pleasing image. 
Sometimes threes can actually buy into their own performance and deceive themselves into believing that they actually are the person that they're acting. Their, their, their personality can morph. Their greatest fear is not being valued. And the, the healing message or how to communicate with a three that brings he, to bring healing and understanding is that you are loved and you're valued just for being you. The type four is the individualist. This is the creative. Some would call him the melancholy. Some would call him the Epicurean. Is that right, the Epicurean? The romantic, that's right. The Epicurean would be the seven, wouldn't it? My daughter is a master at the Enneagram. She is also a type four. <clears throat> the individualist. The creative, they're creative, they're sensitive, they're moody. Most of the world doesn't get them. They're motivated by a need to be understood, ex experience their oversized feelings, and they hate being ordinary. What is it like to be a four? A four would say things like this. I like things that are unconventional, unconventional, dramatic, and refined. I am not a fan of the ordinary. I'd never felt. I'd never really felt like I belonged. I have so many feelings in a day, it's hard to know which ones to pay attention to first. Melancholy is comfortable for me, so it's annoying when people try and cheer me up. I spend a lot of time trying to explain myself. When people tell me that I'm when people tell me what to do, I'm often tempted to do the opposite. Overly happy people give me a headache. <laughs> I feel there's something essential lacking in me. People say I'm too intense and my feelings overwhelm them. Lots of people misunderstand me and it makes me frustrated. I pull people in, but then I get nervous and push them away. I worry a lot about abandonment. Healthy fours are deeply creative, emotionally honest, connected, and attuned to beauty. In fact, most things that the rest of us enjoy were created by healthy fours. The, the, the beauty, the arts, uh, the poems, the, the music, just, like, just, just thank a four today because they probably brought it to you. A, a four's mood is in a constant state of flux. Unhealthy, they're moody, they're dramatic, they're manipulative, and they play the role of the victim even when they're not. Small issues get spun up into catastrophic proportions. They simply feel more than anybody else does and much more magnified than anybody else does. They have this need to be special and unique. They don't want to fit in. They don't, want, they don't want to be just one of the crowd. They want to be a special and unique part of the crowd. Their speaking or their weakness is envy. Fours believe they're missing something essential with, without which they will never be complete. They envy what they perceive to be the wholeness and happiness of others. Their speaking style is lamenting, reflective, and personalizing. Their greatest fear is being without personal significance. And for fours, a healing, their healing message in communication is, I see you, you are beautiful, don't be ashamed. Type five. This is the investigator. Your accountant's probably a type five. <clears throat> Analytical, detached, and private. 
They are motivated by a need to gain knowledge, conserve energy, and avoid relying on others. What is it like to be a five? A five would say things like this. I can take care of myself, and I think others could do the same if they had to. I don't always say things out loud, but in my head, I'm pretty sarcastic and cynical. I <laughs> There's other numbers that do that, too. I often feel awkward around other people. I need time alone. If I want people to know how I feel, I will tell them, and I generally wish they wouldn't ask me. I think thoughts are more reliable than feelings. I need a couple days to process an experience or to know how I actually feel about something. Often I find I'd rather observe than participate. I don't understand why people get together to just hang out. I get tired if I have to be with people for too long. As a child, I often felt invisible, and sometimes as an adult, I just choose to be invisible. Sometimes I think I should be more generous, but I find that hard. In groups, being uninformed makes me very uncomfortable, and material possessions generally don't make me very happy. The weakness of fives is greed. They fives hoard the things that they believe can ensure that they can live independent, an independent, self-sustaining existence. They, they withhold feelings, they withhold emotions, they withhold, they just, they just keep everything in. They hold back their, their love and affection from others, ultimately. Um, when they're healthy, they leave a, they, when they are healthy, they balance participation and observation well. And they're likely to have a depth of knowledge in, air, in certain areas. When, when unhealthy, they don't want to depend on anyone for anything and stay separate from others. They embrace a scarcity mentality, which leads to hoarding, time, space, and affection. Uh, thinking substitutes for feeling. When they feel un incompetent or uninformed, they will withdraw. Social interactions tend to drain them because they fear losing energy. So they, they want to hoard that. They collect knowledge. They're motivated by a desire to understand. Um, let me just keep moving here. Their speaking style is explanation and systems. Their greatest fear is being incapable or uninformed. And the healing message to a five is this. Your needs are not a problem for me. Your needs are not a problem for me. Number six, the type six is the loyalist. The loyalist is committed, practical, and witty. They are a worst-case scenario thinker who is motivated by fear and the need for security. What is it like to be a six? Now, Elizabeth is probably going to come up here right away, but you don't need to because I'm not really doing that kind of message today. Here's what it's like to be a six. I am always imagining and planning for the worst. I don't trust people who are in authority. People say I'm loyal, understanding, funny, and compassionate. Most of my friends don't have as much anxiety as I do. I act quickly in a crisis, but when things settle down, I fall apart. When my partner and I are doing really well in our relationship, I often find myself wondering what will happen next to spoil it. Being sure I've made the right decision is almost impossible. I don't like finding myself in unpredictable situations. People tell me that I can be overly pessimistic. I don't trust people who give me too many compliments. 
All right. I'm running out of time, so I have to scan here. When, health, when sixes are healthy, they're productive, loyal, honest, courageous, and reliable. They're prepared, and they will help you get prepared. Unhealthy sixes question everything. They find danger around every corner, and they do not trust most people, even themselves. They don't trust their own thinking. So they look to authority figures and belief systems rather than to God to provide them with the support and security that they yearn for. They have a strong need for security, order, rules, and plans. There's some stat that's like 80% of generals in the army are sixes. They always see the worst case scenario. They're always preparing for the worst. They're sharp, analytically minded troubleshooters. People misunderstand a six when they ask hard questions and point out the flaws in a plan. Um, They think they're being questioned, but sixes are actually just trying to plan for every event. And so if they see a problem in your plan, they're going to tell you they see it because they want to be prepared to fix the problem if fixing is necessary. When you're building a rocket, you want a six in charge of the engineer team. <laughs> their greatest fear, their, their speaking style is caution, questioning, and doubting. Their greatest fear is being without security, and the healing message is you are safe with me. Okay, seven, the enthusiast. They're fun, spontaneous, and adventurous. Melissa back there is a seven. Just in case you're wondering, what is it like to be a seven? I'm always up. For, I'm always the last person. I'm always the first person up for a last minute of adventure. I am optimist. I'm an optimist to a fault. I don't like making hard and fast commitments to things. Anticipation is the best part of life. Variety and spontaneity are the spice of life. It is hard for me to finish things. When I get close to the end of a project, I start thinking about my next projects, and sometimes I just get so excited I don't finish the project. <laughs> All right. Everything could be more fun if we just try. Healthy sevens are, know that joy is a sheer gift to be received and enjoyed. Embrace life and the full range of human emotion to the full. And, uh, you know, just, just enjoy life. They're fun, adventurous, but also spiritually grounded, practical, and res- resilient. Unhealthy, they tend to feel sorry for themselves, avoid pain at any cost, and are reckless and fail to take care of, take responsibility for their lives. All right. The weakness or the sin of sevens is gluttony. It's avoiding painful feelings. To avoid painful feelings, sevens gorge themselves on positive experiences, planning and anticipating new adventures, and entertaining interesting ideas. Never satisfied, the sevens, sevens' frenzied pursuit of distractions eventually escalates to the point of gluttony. Their speaking style is funny, storytelling, and sarcasm. Their greatest fear is doing without or being trapped in emotional pain. And their healing message is, God will take care of you. Eight, the type eight, the challenger. Commanding, intense, and confrontational. They are motivated by a need to be strong and avoid feeling weak or vulnerable. I might be married to an eight. (laughs) Just possibly. Just throwing it out there. What is it like to be an eight? I find it hard to trust people. Justice is worth fighting for. Saying no isn't a problem for me. I welcome opposition. Bring it. (laughs) I've been told I'm too blunt and aggressive. I didn't tailor this to you, honey, just so you know. This is... (laughs) I make decisions fast and from the gut. 
don't mess with the people I love. I don't have much respect for people who don't stand up for themselves. One of my mottos is a good offense is better than a good defense. And under my tough exterior is a tender, loving heart. Eights have more energy than any other number on the Enneagram, and they're also the most misunderstood number on the Enneagram. They're great friends, exceptional leaders, and champions for those who can't fight for themselves. Anger is the dominant emotion in an eight's life. They're fiercely independent people whose oppositional energy expresses itself in a need to be strong and go up against power. Eights despise the feeling that they are being controlled. This is funny. Eights, this is why I started laughing out loud on vacation. Because it's like, were you reading my wife's diary? Like, what is... <clears throat> Eights don't come equipped with dimmer switches. They're on or they're off. They're all in or they're all out. And confrontation is their love language. <laughs> time clock. Everybody's saying time clock. Their greatest fear is being controlled by others. And the healing message is, I will never betray you. Nine, the peacemaker. This is me, yours truly. Pleasant, laid back, and accommodating. They're motivated by the need to keep peace, merge with others, and avoid conflict. What is it like if you're a nine? I avoid conflict at any cost. I'm not a great self-starter. I tend to procrastinate. I choose the path of least resistance. I don't enjoy big social gatherings. People see me as more peaceful than I actually am on the inside. Uh, and I'm quietly stubborn when people, people place demands on me. I don't feel like what I contribute really matters all that much. Nines are natural mediators. They see all sides of all conflicts. They're easygoing. They know how to relax. They love naps. And they have less energy than any other number on the Enneagram. <laughs> they are often as angry as eights, but they repress it. Their weakness is sloth. Immature nines don't connect to the fire in their belly, and they need to chase after their God-given life. Uh, they don't fully connect with the fire in their belly, and as a result, they fail to become their own person. Uh, their greatest fear is conflict or rejection, and the healing message is you are important. Wow, that was a lot to get through. I'm at overtime. Okay, shut up, Mike. <clears throat> Let me finish with this. The goal of understanding our numbers is, is to develop self-knowledge and learn how to recognize and relax our our grip on the reflexive, self-defeating behaviors of our personality. As we do, we can live more authentically, and we can relate to others in a, lot, in a wiser and more loving way. And I, wanted, I just want to encourage you, over this Christmas season, we have a lot of time. Many of us aren't getting together in, in gatherings. Most of us are not getting together in large gatherings. This is actually a prime opportunity to strengthen some of the closest relationships in your world. I want to encourage you. There's, there's a book. At the, on, we'll put up the links on our website there. The book called The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron. And there's a study guide that goes with it, which is excellent. You'll have some of the best conversations you've had in ages as you talk about this with your loved ones. I would encourage you, take some time because love starts at home. Love starts with those that are, we, if we can't love those that are closest around us, it's gonna be really hard to love those that are further away. And take this as an opportunity to build and grow love in this season. 
uh, of your life. Let's stand up. And we're just going to pray. Father, we just pray that we would grow in our ability to love. We would grow in our ability to be compassionate, and we would grow in our empathy and connections with those around us. Father, you said that when we learn to love, we learn how to experience you. And we want to experience the fullness of your presence in our relationships. I'm just going to pray another prayer. And it's just a prayer saying yes to Jesus. Yes to allowing him to take control of our lives. And if you want to be included in that, whether you're here or online, you can just pray with me, Jesus. I want to learn to love. I want to experience your love in my life. I want to follow you and in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.